Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Sharon Armstrong, author of The Essential Performance Review Handbook. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Sharon Armstrong, author of the Essential Performance Review Handbook. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, Sharon Armstrong, founder of Sharon Armstrong and Associates, shares with us her insights on how to conduct personnel performance reviews that are a positive experience for employees and help them and the organization excel. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Sharon Armstrong, author of the Essential Performance Review Handbook, a quick and handy resource for any management or HR professional, and founder of Sharon Armstrong and Associates, an HR consulting and referral network. Sharon has served as Director of Human Resources at a law firm and several other organizations in Washington, D.C. Since launching her own consulting business in 1998, she has provided training and completed HR projects dealing with performance management design and implementation for a wide variety of clients. Sharon, Welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast. Thank you, Nathan. I am happy to be here with you. I am thrilled to have you on the show. Personnel performance reviews, of course, are always something that is not only on the front of everybody's mind at work, but just cause so much anxiety at the time of year they tend to show up. And I am really happy that you are available to join us and to talk to us about how to maybe do this a little bit better. Well, I think you're right about that. I think there's anxiety on both sides of the desk. I think for managers, uh, a lack of training on how to deliver performance feedback, fear of saying the wrong thing that may lead to lawsuits, uh, lack of notes to refer back to because they haven't been good about tracking performance all year, or maybe they're not sure how to really measure the work product. And, and don't mm-hmm. even get me started on some of those terrible forms. So there are anxieties clearly on that side. And then for the employees, I think often they don't know what will be said, especially if they haven't received ongoing feedback through the year. They're not sure of what the expectations were. They maybe don't have a trusting relationship with their boss. And it's not always a two-way conversation. So I Mm -hmm. think that recognizing that there is potential anxiety is a good way to start to recognize it and hopefully alleviate it. 
Besides the anxiety, Sharon, I find a lot of folks are rather cynical also about the performance management process in general. Is there a, a reason for that mistrust? Well, I think you're right on that, too. I think their reasons for their mistrust might be that the performance appraisal for some place, some companies is an empty exercise. Nothing changes mm-hmm. afterwards. You don't learn anything from it, and there's no kind of development plan going forward. I have to tell you, I found some very funny quotes that describe performance appraisals, and my favorite one was, they said, performance appraisals are like fruitcake. You get it once a year and no one wants it. <laughs> That's um, good. I love that. Another yeah. one that was a little sobering was performance appraisals are those things that the top tell the middle to do to the bottom. And that's a sad one to me because it doesn't have to be like that. But I will tell you that this mistrust doesn't have to be there. I found lots of organizations that were using performance appraisals as an effective management tool that motivates and rewards and helps to create productive work environments. Sharon, would you have an example of one of those companies that you could share with us? Well, I've been part of, of organizations that do this, and I've had clients who've done this effectively. Um, here's one example. I really think that a performance appraisal is merely the culmination of all the many conversations that you have throughout that cycle. And if you start to think of it like that, you think of it in a less stressful way. And I know a number of organizations who really set schedules for these conversations. One of my clients had conversations every two weeks that were required between the employee and the manager. And you know what they did? They followed up with the the employee to make sure these were happening. So they were assured that people were talking about work and progress and purpose the whole time. Okay. You know, and I find so much, of course, with our work on Strategy Driven, where we talk about organizational alignment, that it's those organizations that do that reinforcement, I'll I'll call it even on a more continuous basis throughout the year. They get so much more benefit, and of course, then it helps in the performance management process as well. I agree. You have a strategic plan or a direction you want to go in. You're able to put that into some measurable goals. Those cascade down to the employees. So people come in knowing what they're supposed to be doing every day, and you keep those goals dusted off, and you look at them periodically. You don't write them at the beginning of the cycle and never look at them again. They're in a desk drawer somewhere. You really keep them front and center and really monitor. And, you know, that's something that Peter Drucker said that performance appraisal should be. He said it should be a participative system where the employee and the manager sit down at the beginning, they plot out what they're going to do, and they revisit periodically to see how well and if those goals are being met. He said that probably 60, 70 years ago, and we're still kind of struggling with it. I love Peter Drucker, and his foresight was just incredible, truly uh, someone ahead of his time. We lost a great man when he died a couple of years ago, yes. and he was prolific in his uh, in his management writing, and a lot of things uh, we're still looking at today that he, he kind of guided us there. Now, Sharon, I'd like to look for a moment at what people can do to overcome both their anxiety and their cynicism around the performance management process. And so I'd like to focus our conversation on, first, what imp- employees and their managers can do to prepare for the performance review, 
then get into what they can do during the conduct of the review itself, and then, of course, finally, as we just talked of, the follow-on actions. And so first, I wanted to ask, what do you see as the key activities that both the managers and employees should engage in in preparing for that all-important performance review? Well, that's a great way to approach this because I think when you have something that's daunting, the best way to understand how to do it with less anxiety is to break it down just like you have, Nathan, so thank you. Thinking about the manager, I think there are a couple of initial things to do in the planning and preparation stage. Get familiar with that form and the ratings. Mm -hmm. uh, think about the goals that each employee has been working on, what contribution they've been making, what contribution should they have been making, and does the employee know clearly what is expected? Thinking about their strengths, thinking about areas for improvement, and then I alluded to it earlier, collecting that objective information, pull the examples and the observations you've hopefully been, been saving through the year in whatever format you do use, pull yes. the job description, fill out the form privately, put it aside, you know, review it the next day or so, be ready to justify ratings. And by that I mean be sure to add specific examples. There's nothing that makes a performance appraisal more credible than to say something like, Last March 3rd at 3.30, do <laughs> you remember when this happened? Or in the spring, we had those three new projects that we didn't anticipate. Or at the end of summer, we had that challenge. And here's where you added value. Yes. So the more specific examples you build in, and then you plan your discussion as the manager again in detail. Mm -hmm. Compliments, areas for improvement. You schedule the meeting with your employee. You plan enough time for the discussion. You assure privacy. You select a time when you and the employee are not under a lot of pressure. Hopefully there will be a time when this meeting can really have the time it deserves. You go back and you check the appraisal once more before the meeting, and uh, then you should be ready. Okay. Is there anything the employee should do to help Absolutely. prepare as well? You know, I, I like that we're focusing on that as well because mm -hmm. this really should be a two-way street. This is all about the employee. They say it is all about you. This is all about the employee. And it, it, we have to start focusing on that and letting them know that this process is partly their responsibility. It's their mm -hmm. career. So I think what the employee should do is really to review the goals and performance they've had over the year, assess that objectively as they can. What has their performance been? What have been their accomplishments against the plan that they set out in the beginning of the cycle? I think it's a great idea to do a self-appraisal, list your achievements there, and then think ahead to some of the future goals and be ready to talk about both, what you've done and what you hope to do going forward. Mm -hmm. A couple of the things I particularly liked about what you just recommended that we talk about in a little different context on Strategy Driven is it sounds like we're talking about performance appraisals that are very fact-based. So they're evidentiary, and, and we can see them in a qualitative but in a very quantitative sense. Right. right. And uh, that, to me, is just just very important to be able to do. I see people become cynical because the grade's predecided, and uh, you know they'll make up stuff as necessary. To yeah, you manage. know, I have another client that when they sit down with the employee at the beginning of the cycle, let's mm -hmm. say they have a five-point scale, 
yeah. they clearly describe what that middle rating uh, looks like. Mm-hmm. I think this is fabulous. And only then, yeah. if you exceed whatever is that very measurable goal across mm-hmm. many of the criteria, then you both know at the end, it's not what the technical word is, mushy. <laughs> yes. not mushy. It's really clear. Did you reach the goal? Did you not? Mm-hmm. I think that will put you on such solid ground, and it will make the employee feel much more comfortable as well. Absolutely. And now, Sharon, what methods or principles do you recommend that the manager and employee adhere to when they're actually sitting down having that performance review meeting? Well, I think the first thing that they want to do is, and there are really two parts, how to start the meeting and what to happen during the discussion. Mm-hmm. I think the first is you don't want to forget your feelings before your own performance review if you're a manager. Okay. Being sensitive to that, and that might be the only takeaway of this conversation, but okay. if you can be sensitive and remember what it was like to walk in feeling that you're going to be judged, feeling unsure, that's going to automatically make you a better reviewer. A lot of times managers will want to conduct a bit of a warm-up, set the tone. I really think you keep small talk to a minimum, though. You want to put the employee hmm. at ease, acknowledge that they may feel uncomfortable, Try to reassure them, stress the routine nature of it, share your experiences if you can. Tell them you've had many positive, you, you have many positive things to say if that's true, because that will lower the anxiety right away. Okay. But keep it informal, but keep it businesslike. Mm-hmm. Uh, explain the purpose of the meeting in positive terms. Encourage them to discuss the appraisal with you. Make sure it's two-way. Outline what you want to cover. And then get into it. Describe the job in terms of how it fits into the bigger picture of the organization. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing, I think, is listen. It's the old uh, nature gave us two ears and one mouth. Yes. The manager needs to really be listening to what the employee is saying, certainly talking themselves about the ratings and the examples, mm-hmm. working their way through the form, reviewing accomplishments, but also ask some open-ended questions to get what's on their mind. On those same lines, and I always struggle with this, and I've had companies that have actually taken polar opposite uh, positions on this when it comes to the performance review meeting. Some companies tell the managers that they're not allowed to share the form, the, the written appraisal, with their employees until after the meeting. And some tell them that they should share it with the employee so the employee can have read the performance appraisal uh, at at least maybe a a half an hour, an hour before the meeting. Do you have any preference with what you like to see people do? I do, actually, but it almost depends on the particular appraisal. My (laughs) worry, Nathan, if you share it before, it might be read out of context, Okay. and the employee might have a reaction to it that was not intended. The other concern I have, if the employee reads it ahead of time, is I might find it in the copier later, or I might find it open on the desk. (laughs) And this is very confidential information. Now, I, I, I guess the other thing that I'd hang my hat on for this is that I like to think of the performance appraisal still being in draft form, even at the meeting. Okay. Because I'm hoping that that manager, if they hear something from the employee during that exchange, 
that is really compelling, not that they have to make a knee-jerk reaction, but if they hear something that might cause them to at least think a little bit about changing a re- uh, something in the review because they didn't consider it as thoroughly as they would have hoped, mm-hmm. then I would hope they would change it. What better message does that give to an employee that maybe we do have a partnership here? Not that the manager isn't the last one to have the final say, but I just love that approach. So I consider it personally still in draft form until all is said and done. Oh, I like that. And now, Sharon, having had the meeting, what do you recommend the manager's employees do as the follow-up? That's a real important part. The manager needs to follow up on any commitments they've made for support or training. Mm -hmm. They need to get the signatures on the form and then safely get them to HR or wherever they need to be sent. I think that the manager should also review their own notes and evaluate themselves. How do they think they did in that performance appraisal? And kind of like the Macy's Day Parade, they say they start the next day preparing for the next year. Begin observations for the next performance discussion with your employee the very next day and start recording them in whatever system you decide to use. Absolutely. And I love the fact that you talk about having the observations documented and using them in performance reviews. Oh, you can't depend on your head. Yeah. (laughs) None of us are that good, even in our prime, probably. Oh, absolutely. Otherwise, the annual performance review becomes what I can remember from the past two weeks. And that's an actual, they've named that uh, as one of the rating areas. It's called recency. Ah. And I used to work at a place where we did our reviews in December, and we'd always kid around and say everyone would kick into high gear in September, hoping we'd forget January to August which we often did. Yeah. So really have to be disciplined and tracking notes throughout. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Not the bad. Everything. Catch people doing the right thing. Tell them right then, and then make a record so you can talk about it briefly again at the performance appraisal time. And now, Cher, we've talked a lot in the context of the annual performance review, and certainly the companies that I've always worked for, always have an annual review process. But I've had a lot of strategy-driven guest contributors suggest Mm -hmm. that that's not maybe the optimal approach. That's something more frequent, to be honest, not less frequent, but more frequent, is a better way of going about the performance review process. I was wondering what you see as being the most effective periodicity for conducting a performance review. Well, I believe with your, I believe and agree with your other guests that, um, perhaps a short meeting more often, mm-hmm. quarterly, would be ideal. Okay. If I could rule the world, I would say quarterly. <laughs> um, you know, remember what we said, it's a culmination of all the many conversations that you have in that cycle. So to summarize and hit the highlights quarterly, that annual won't be as stressful. I yeah. think for managers to remember is just keep an ongoing workplace conversation going. Coach and counsel throughout the entire cycle. And this will not be as anxiety-provoking as some managers make it because they don't have that ongoing conversation. And I think you also get over or to some extent overcome that recency phenomenon too if you do it quarterly. 
You do. You absolutely yeah. do. And you find that at that annual time when you're maybe you're doing a, a form mm-hmm. that you're just looking back on the notes of the other quarters and it can really be a shorter meeting. Sure. You're hitting highlights. Mm-hmm. And then absolutely. you're starting, maybe you're looking even uh, at that last meeting, and I love this, you're looking more forward than backward. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Plan for the year ahead. Yeah. Now, Sharon, we've talked about ratings and about communicating the criteria for the ratings and the rating system. You in your book describe what you called rating traps. What should organization leaders do to ensure that they not only consistently define the performance ratings, but that they also consistently apply them to employees across the entire organization and avoid some of those ratings traps? Well, I love the use of the word consistently because that's what we need to do. I honestly, Nathan, think this is where training comes in. Okay. And holding managers accountable for giving genuine feedback. Some of my clients have done some pretty interesting things, some out-of-the-box initiatives in this regard. They have what they call calibration meetings. where senior leaders will meet together to question managers on their ratings before the meeting takes place, and they really push them to justify. You know, a lot of organizations I work with will have a a three, four, or five-point scale. Let's say, for example, someone has a five-point scale. Mm -hmm. Getting across to employees that three is a good rating, it's often hard to do because there's been this creep rating creep. So if you have five points, maybe you're only using the four and the five, yes. which makes the mockery of the other other ratings. And I don't think that's good. I will tell you, I've had many, many meetings with clients where we try to rename those ratings, especially mm-hmm. that middle one, so that it won't sound like a C that you got, A, B, C, D, F, in school. Right. One of my clients came up with something fabulous. They call it fully successful. Now, who can argue with being fully successful? Someone (laughs) out there probably can. But it's communicating and educating managers and staff that when we hired you, we expected you to be fully successful. It's only on those rare occasions when you go above and beyond that you really do earn a rating of a four or five. And that has to be communicated often and consistently and applied consistently. Okay. Now, Sharon... The last thing I wanted to talk with you about was on the topic of compensation. And in the Essential Performance Review Handbook, you provide some really incredibly fascinating insights on the subject of compensation. In my work, I have often heard leaders take one of two positions. Either they focus their compensation on what I call time and tenure, so time in the position or time with the company, or they take a position that they should have pay for performance. And and maybe it's just the organizations I work with, but it it almost seems like an all or nothing on those two positions. I was wondering what you see as the pros and cons of those two positions, and then what would be the approach you would recommend managers take with respect to determining compensation? You've asked me a tough one here, but I'm going to plow ahead. Okay. I think that in the time and tenure approach, 
pay often becomes an entitlement. Mm -hmm. The downside is that there might not be an initiative uh, or incentive to work hard and be productive. And honestly, Nathan, how many companies can really afford that? Yeah. I don't have an argument for that approach because I don't think it's a good one. Mm -hmm. I've heard it called the breathing award. You know, if you just came and you breathe, we're going to yeah. give you a pay. We used to I'm say, not sure that's the way. Yeah, we used to say if you breathed or had a heartbeat, one or the other, but both weren't required. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. you know, in this day and age where it's competitive and companies need to be productive and they need to have people working and mm -hmm. reaching goals, I don't think that's going to cut it anymore. Now, there are, but no system is perfect. I mean, even for a pay for performance system, yes. that can be tricky too. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're promoting, let's say, teamwork in your organization, yet you're rewarding individually. Yes. That's very much of a mixed message. And so, you know, hopefully your listeners will have lots of different types of settings. And the overall approach is whatever you decide, it needs to match your culture and your compensation philosophy of your organization. And I will tell you, you know, it's, it's going to sound strange. I know that pay is important. We have to live. But I will also tell you that a number of studies that I've looked at will verify that it sometimes is a blip on the screen when someone gets a pay increase. There are a lot of studies that identify those other things that engage and motivate employees. Everything from, and these things don't cost, full appreciation of work done, um, being in on things, aspects of career development, and knowing their manager really cares about them is worth a lot. And I don't ever want us to get too far from understanding that those might be the real drivers of employee motivation and productivity. Yes. I tell folks the um, the two things that meant most to me in my career, neither of them had to do with pay at all. And uh, both were just simple words of congratulations, but it was all in how they were delivered. Absolutely. I could, you know, I agree with you. I can look yeah. back on my background and think, what what did I really feel good about? that happened when I worked here or here or here. And my examples are like yours. Yeah. And and they were semi-private moments. Uh, there was no fanfare or anything with them. But they are the two things that stand out in my mind. I remember those two moments, and I can't remember a single, you know, compensation adjustment conversation. Those. I can't either. Yeah. I, you know, something interesting you just said um, – we always have to remember that there's really no cookie-cutter approach. You really have to get to know each employee because they're going to have individual needs and individual motivators and individual demotivators. And getting to know those as a manager will help you create that environment that's conducive to work and conducive to creating these good memories for those of us who have moved on. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, Sharon, I want to thank you not only for your time, but for sharing your insights on how to have effective personnel performance reviews. I think it's very important for our audience to know, though, that we have just barely scratched the surface of the outstanding information contained within your book. And one thing I also wanted to mention to them was 
that besides just these insights, one of the things I really appreciated about your book was the fact that you presented examples of how each of the principles is carried out, which really brought all of them to life for me. I'm, I'm a very visual person, even when I read. And so to have that story told and unfold the principles and how they should work really helped me to better understand them. And then I also appreciated all the sample forms that are in the back of the book that folks can use to just out of the box immediately help improve their performance review programs. So I hope our listeners will go out and pick up for themselves a copy of the Essential Performance Review Handbook. And then more importantly, I hope they'll take the principles and the practices that you describe and put them into practice so that they can be more effective at conducting their personnel performance reviews and do so in a way that's both a positive experience for them and their employees. So thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you, Nathan, so much for those kind words. It was really my pleasure. You know, this is a topic that's very close to my heart, and I thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. I really believe that positive, ongoing conversations in the workplace can help everyone. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Sharon Armstrong for being with us today and sharing her insights on conducting effective personnel performance reviews. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Sharon Armstrong and the Essential Performance Review Handbook at www.SharonArmstrongAndAssociates.com. Until next time, so long.